Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 390. Hey, welcome back. I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. I'm so glad you're here. Yes, I know I say those words every single week, but I truly am happy that you're tuning in and taking action and educating yourself by listening to great podcasts just like this one and others. I know that you are here for you, and I want to bring as much value to you as the listener, and I hope we can do that today with our guest, Victor Yerichek. Victor is a house flipper out of Gainesville, Florida. He got his start in the world of real estate through wholesaling and transitioned to house flipping where he started doing several deals per year and has scaled up to doing 30 deals per year. This year, he's on track to do. One of the things I love speaking with about house flippers is their systems and their processes, specifically around lead generation, how they're finding deals, how they're funding deals, how they're fixing deals. I find that the successful house flippers have great systems and processes. So that's a key takeaway I hope you get out to today's show. So with that, let's go ahead and jump right into it. Today, welcome to the show, Victor Yerichek. Victor, hey, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Well, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, your background in the world of real estate investing, Victor. Sure. So yeah, I'm out of Gainesville, Florida here. I'm a full-time real estate investor, so this is what I do for a living. So we flip houses full-time, you know, buy them, fix them up, sell them, you know, the traditional fix and flip like you kind of see on HGTV is how we do it. And that's that's pretty much it. So I did about 20 flips last year. I want to do 30 flips this year. So just keeping busy with everything. And that's, you know, that's pretty much it. Yeah. How'd you kind of get started in the world of flipping? Yeah. So I, what was interesting, so I always had like a real estate in the back of my mind. Like it was always something like, hey, I want to get into this. And I always thought like, I need to do A and then I can get to B, which is real estate. Like I need to make a ton of money doing something and then I can get into real estate. And it turns out like you don't have to do that. And, you know, I was just interested in real estate. I don't know. It just caught my attention and caught my eye. I read a couple of books. I read, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, as most folks do. And I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Like I got to look into this stuff. Just uh, fell in love with it over time. Are you one of these guys that's super handy and very, very good with you know <laughs> repairs and construction projects? Or are you more like the systems, processes, visionary type guy? Probably the latter. Yeah, I'm not very handy. I've done the painting before. Like when I started, I would do the painting and like help out with that or like help out with the flooring or, or do that. I'm not good on electrical, not good on roofing, not good on any of that stuff. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell us maybe about your very first foray into the world of real estate investing. What's your first deal look like? Yeah. So I actually got started wholesaling. So uh, wholesaling, if your listeners know, so like you find a deal, you put under a contract and you basically sell the contract for a fee. And that can be you know anywhere from three, five, ten thousand. So my first deal, I actually made 3000 in terms of wholesaling. And the second one, I made three and a half thousand. Like, okay, this is, you know, so there's something here. And then I switched over to flipping. And I think my first flip, I made about 28K or 29K. I was like, okay, cool. This is where I want to stay. I enjoyed it more. 
Uh, so that was pretty much it. Just got started wholesaling, kind of dipped, in, dipped my toe into the water and got some momentum and realized like, hey, I can do this full time. And that's what I want to do. And just made it happen. Now, one of the things I always like to talk to people like you, Victor, who are flipping houses at a very high volume are your systems and your processes because you guys have you know, all of these very fine-tuned processes and systems down all the way from finding deals to funding them to you know, doing the rehab project and then finally selling them, right? So maybe talk with us a little bit about what your processes and systems look like today. Um, sure. So it's, it's pretty straightforward. So luckily, as you do more and more flips, like we keep the same type of flooring, like the same color typically. Like we just do the same colors for interior paint. And then exterior paint like varies a little bit, but it's typically pretty similar. So we keep it like it's like an assembly line. Like it's one after the other after the other. Mm-hmm. Um, we like to use the same people as much as possible, like the same painter. Like we talk to them like maybe weekly or biweekly. So that's pretty much the system. Like, you know, we just keep it consistent. It's all by the numbers. You know, it's all by the numbers is how we do everything. And then we try to keep it as simple as possible. I think a lot of folks get tied into like the HGTV vision and there's nothing wrong with that. But like when you're knocking down walls or like you're adding rooms, you know, adding bathrooms, like changing stuff, like more issues pop up. And because there's more issues, like you have to pay for those issues, it takes longer and that eats into your profit. So uh, like we like to keep things as simple as possible. Boom, you know, it's done and list it and then move on. Let's break it into uh, kind of two parts here. First, tell us about how you find deals. Yeah. So about half our deals come from wholesalers and half I source on my own. Uh, sourcing on my own comes from a lot of different ways. Like sometimes we have a good like realtor relationship or there's like a referral, like, hey, you flip houses. Or sometimes we get from the website, people see the website, like they reach out. So we've had those before. Sourcing on their own cold calling still works. It's still, you know, very effective. There's other ways we do it, but that's how we source it on our own. And then we work with wholesalers. So yeah, like me sure. having been in a wholesaler in the past is a huge benefit because I know the struggle. I know, you know, the, the pain points. I know. I know what they're going through so I can relate to them and make it as easy as possible to work with them just on their end. So that's pretty much it. But we just, you know, we get deals consistently. I think the other thing is, you know, sticking to your word. So as long as you're able to like, hey, I can close on this day or I can, you know, do this, do this deal, like sticking to it as much as possible is is key. Do you have any tips for uh, working successfully with wholesalers? I think the biggest thing is the relationship. So if it's a good wholesaler, realize like they can bring you future deals. So there's a wholesaler we bought six houses from last year, or like another wholesaler we bought three houses off last year. So you need to optimize for the relationship and not necessarily optimize for the deal. So don't try to beat them up over you know a thousand bucks or two thousand bucks. You want to optimize for the entire relationship. So it's not like this deal is the next one, the next one, the next one, and you want to make sure you're able to get all of those just by creating good relationships. So I think that people often overlook that. They think like very myopically, like hey, just this deal. Like what about this deal? Like oh, I'm not going to make. 40K, I'm going to make 35K, but just thinking in the long term, because some of those relationships can be worth, you know, six figures or maybe even seven figures, depending on how long you're doing it with them. Yeah, sure. Maybe talk about the funding side of the business, Victor. How are you funding these deals? You're flipping 20, 30 homes a year. You've got many projects going on at once. Those are very capital intensive projects. I'm sure right. lots of times you're you're paying all cash for a property, putting extensive renovation budgets into them, and then turning around mm-hmm. and selling them. But you might have half a dozen of those going on at one time. So talk about the kind of the funding process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So I think the biggest thing with funding, people get caught up in that like, hey, I don't know if I have good credit or good enough credit. I don't have the funds for a flip. I think the biggest thing is like, if you have a good deal, like you can get the money. Like people throw money at you to get it done because like, what are your options? Like, 
do you want to have your money sitting in a bank? This is for like a potential investor. Like, do you want to have your money sitting in a bank and making, you know, 0.1% or do you want to put into real estate, which is tangible real? You can say, hey, we're going to make this much. So that's how I look at it from that perspective. So that's the first thing. Second thing, I want to introduce like a concept, what I call like a money partner. That's how I got started. I got started at like a low 500 credit score, maybe a couple thousand in the bank. And I was still able to get started. And so how was I able to do that? Basically, I was able to do that because I had what's called a money partner. Money partner put in all the money to buy it, to fix it up, to sell it. And I was boots on the ground. I was sweat equity. I was the one putting everything together, found the deal, ran the renovations and sold it. And then we split the profit, right? So on that one, as mentioned, so we made about 28, 29. I got a portion. They got a portion. And it was worth it. It was a win-win for all parties. Yeah, um, fantastic. That's, that's how we did it. So, and again, it's then it shifts the focus like, okay, well, wait a second. If I get a, a good enough deal, I'll get the money. Okay, so for money solved for, if that's solved for, then let's focus on the deal. So now I just need to really get a really get a good deal, which is what I talked about. And people are open to that all the time because there's a lot of people who want to get into real estate. They just don't know how. They don't know how. They don't know you know, what's a good deal. They don't know like where to get started. They don't know how to get started. They're just like, hey, real estate's great. And I have money. Now, <laughs> what do I do? So you can yeah. be that, that pathway. You can be that bridge. Like, okay, well, I got this deal. This is what we can make. You know, this is boom, boom, boom. And it just happens. Victor, when you were setting out to do your very first house flip deal, you'd probably wholesaled a good amount of houses up to this point. But what was your biggest challenge? Was it, you know, just understanding the flipping process? Was it finding the deal? Was it funding the deal? What was like your biggest hurdle to do that very first flip? To do the first one, again, finding deals, finding deals, understanding that process. I think the thing that a lot of people get caught into and they make a mistake of is just realizing, like not realizing this is a numbers game. So I typically say like on average, like one out of 15 offers becomes a deal. So you have to make an offer, make an offer, make an offer, you know, times 15, and that becomes a deal. So when I got started, I would get frustrated. Like if I got a no and a no and a no, I'm like, oh, what the hell? Where's these deals? Like, why doesn't anyone want to sell with me, sell to me? And then it's just realizing that, yeah, it, uh, it takes time and like, you have to go through these numbers. You're not going to bat a thousand when it comes to this sort of thing. So just having that realization and knowing that number, actually, because for a while I didn't know it. And then I looked back and like, how many offers have I made? How many properties have I looked at? How many deals did I get? Uh, just knowing that number is super helpful. Because if you're going through the dark, like with your eyes closed, like, is this next one going to be a deal? Next one going to be a deal? So on and so forth. It's suddenly like, okay, one down and I have 14 to go. Okay. I made, I made a second offer. Okay. 13 to go. Like you can start like moving towards that deal. Now that's a good point. And real estate is a numbers game, right? Like you said, so you might understand, Hey, you know, one in every 15 offers becomes a deal, but there's a little bit to unpack there. And that is, you know, you have to get really comfortable with being told no and getting rejected time yeah. and time again. Right. Cause that's part of the game. Right. So if you're expecting out of one of ever 15 offers to become a deal, that's 14 no's for one yes. After you know 30 or 60 or 100 offers, you might start to get kind of beat down and kind of, a, what am I trying to say, like unmotivated, if you will. So how did you kind of keep positive mentality when you're going through that kind of funnels number game? Yeah. So I have like a nice mental reframe that really helps with that. So let's say you know, you're going to make 30,000 net profit on a flip. Like that's your like, hey, I, that's my minimum. That's what I want to make. That's what I'm going to make. Okay, cool. So 30,000, that's like the end goal. That's the pot at the end of the rainbow, the treasure pot. So, okay, cool. 30,000. So, and we know it takes 15 offers to get a deal. Okay, so 15 offers. So, you do a little math. So, 30,000 divided by 15. So, you're getting paid whether or not they say yes or no, you're going to get paid $2,000 per offer. 
So if I'm going to say like, hey, Jake, I want to pay you $2,000 per offer, no matter what they say, you know, I know you'd run out there and be like, uh, make an offer on every house. I like, like that. Yeah. I'll buy, it, I'll, buy it, I'll buy it. I'll buy it. You know, it's that sort of mental reframe. So if you're able to have that mentality, it's like a mental accounting type of thing. Like you're not actually getting paid 2000 but just sure. mentally, you know, the person who accepts. So I think that really helps. It's like, okay, well, when you paid 2000 to get told no, you're going to be going through those 15 pretty damn quick. Yeah, that's a good mental reframe. I like that. Victor, when you're looking at deals, what are some of the qualitative and quantitative features you're looking for? Are you looking for, you know, three bedroom, two bathroom homes in this certain zip code? And then to also talk about like the sellers. What kind of sellers are you looking for? I'm sure they're going to be distressed to some aspect, motivated mm-hmm. to sell their home. Kind of talk about the profile of the seller and the house, if you will. Sure. There's a million variables when it comes down to flipping. You know, what's the neighborhood? What's the zip code? What's the bedroom, bathroom? What's the school system? What's the layout? You know, what's the age of the house? I like to get it as simple as possible and just break it down to the numbers again. So we just do typically like 70% rule. So 70% ARV minus repairs. So ARV, like what the retail price is, like what you can Mm -hmm. sell it for once it's all fixed up. And that's it. That's all we do. It's basically coming down to two or three numbers or three numbers in total. Like, what are you buying it for? What are you putting into it? What are you selling it for? And that's how you know a good deal is, what a good deal is. And like having that creates also a buffer, like if something goes wrong or things don't go as you plan. That's just how I look at it, where, you know, it's it's all numbers and it's baked into that number. So if it's a great school district or a great zip code, it's going to sell for more. So that's baked into the ARV. If it needs more repairs, like that's baked into the repair budget. That's just how I look at it because you just be caught in analysis paralysis if you're looking at all these things. Like, it's like, oh, it has to be a great school district and a great neighborhood and three, two. And, you know, you go through all these metrics or all these boxes to tick and you're like, oh, I've never done a deal. I'll never do a deal because like this house doesn't exist or like the one person who has this house doesn't want to sell. So <laughs> I'm stuck. Yeah, sure. And then maybe about the seller profile. What do they look like? You're, are they distressed? Or are they motivated to some yeah. aspect? Can you talk about that? Sure. So when it comes to these sellers, like if you ask the average person, let's say their house is worth 100000 and you ask them like, hey, hey, I want to buy your house for 50000 Are you willing to accept that offer? Most of the time they'd say no, right? So you know, that's probably uh, that's a recipe for failure. So um, if you're offering, offering half off or like a discounted price for that sort of thing. And what's the variable there? Like they're not really motivated. Like most people are like in a stable job, you know, they don't have to sell. Like, you know, I'll sell it if I want to, but I don't have to. So there's not a lot of motivation there. So how do we find deals? Well, there's some level of motivation there. It could be a divorce. It could be a vacant property. It could be a probate where they inherited the property. It could be a lot of things. So there could be something, but something's motivating them to some level where it's themselves saying to themselves like, hey, I don't want to deal with this place. I'd rather just sell it for a discount and be done with it. That's a problem you're solving. So you're trying to uncover that problem. And that could be be a lot of things. Like it could be a lot of things like I mentioned. So we're typically dealing with motivated sellers just as an overall piece. Yeah. And then maybe one other profile that comes to mind, Victor, in my experience has been a tired landlord or an out-of-state landlord is also sometimes a good seller, right? So, you know, maybe it's not that, you know, live-in primary residence homeowner, but it could be a landlord who's maybe just not given this property as much attention as they should, or it's just out of, you know, their geography of their other profile or portfolio rather, et cetera. So that's another opportunity to look for. Exactly. So it's just looking for some sort of motivation that can take a lot of forms. Yeah. Um, to understand like why someone wants to deal, you know, not deal with the place. I mean, another part of that kind of inherent is like excessive repair. So if the place is like outdated, it needs a lot of work, then 
that's a layer of motivation too. Like if someone has a pristine house, like perfect, you know, they can list it today and, you know, they're going through divorce, like, okay, well, they can maybe just list it versus go with you. If it's in bad shape, like they can just, you know, sell it to you. Yeah, sure. Well, Victor, I'd love to ask you about some of your best and worst stories as a flipper who's flipped dozens of houses now. But before we do that, just a quick note from today's show sponsor. Hey, I want to take a quick second and tell you about this really powerful software I've been using in my own investing business. I use this to skip trace owner's contact information, run rental comps, find targeted leads, and so much more. It's been a huge boost in my own business. In fact, it was how I landed recently an off-market eight-unit apartment building in my local sub-market where I was able to purchase that property, negotiate seller financing at even 0% down. That's a story for another episode we'll dive into sometime, but it's just a testament to how it's been very powerful in my own investing business. And I would like to recommend it to you. Now, you know, if you've been listening to the show for any time now, that I rarely, if ever, promote anything that I don't personally use in my own business. So I want to take a second and tell you about this. It's PropStream. You can find more about it at www.jacobairs forward slash PropStream, where you can find a personal discount code there. I hope you find it valuable in your own business. Just go check it out and see if it's right for you. With that, let's go back to today's episode. All right, Victor. So kind of give us maybe some of your most exciting and we'll say, you know, maybe not so exciting deals you've seen in your uh, past flipping few years. Yeah. So let's start with least exciting because then it'll like nicely contrast. (laughs) So yeah, it's not always, I've never lost money on a deal, but I have broken even once. And that's this story. So basically what happened, we found a property as a for sale by owner. Basically what happened, like a, let's call it like a wannabe or like a first time flipper. Let's say that a first time flipper wanted to buy the property. They bought it at a tax auction. They bought it for a good price. They put a lot into it. They were trying to sell it. They didn't have a lot of luck. There was a couple of things going on. Mostly they didn't market it properly. Like they didn't know how to sell the house properly. So we were able to pick it up. So we ended up buying it for like 87. I think we put in like 10-ish into it. And our goal was to sell it for 130. So we bought the property, no problem. You know, We were able to fix up the property, no problem. We were able to get the house like listed under contract, no problem. So we got it listed for like the 130, you know, so the 130 is under contract and the appraisal came in and this is the first time it's ever happened this bad. The appraisal came in way low. So the guy appraised that 109, like 109. So $21,000 gap is basically what this guy, you know, appraised it for us. So like, okay, this isn't good. You know, this isn't good. And then the buyer at that time was saying like, oh, you know, we should, you should still do it, you know, just because like this buyer really wants it. Like, uh, you know, that's not going to happen because we wouldn't like break even or maybe even lost money at that point. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, we knew it wasn't a home run deal, but you know, we just want to get it, get it done with. Fell out of contract, decided not to do that deal. We ended up turning it into a rental. We're cash flowing. We rented out for like maybe six months, maybe a year, uh, rented it out and uh, we're getting like 300, 400 bucks a month cash flow. You can't be mad at that. And then we decided like, hey, the tenant moved out for whatever reason. And we were like, hey, let's just relist it. And it took about a month or two, but we got under contract again. I wasn't the most desirable area. That's a long story, but ended up getting under contract. And in the meantime, like we would have made like 10, 15,000 on the deal. But in the meantime, originally we had like a private money lender on it and we had to refinance them out because he's like, hey, you know, this is this was short term money. Mm-hmm. Um, I just need to be refinanced out for other projects. So 
because of the refinance fees, which basically broke even, but not a terrible deal. You know, in and out, made it happen. You know, breaking even isn't the worst thing that can happen. You can obviously lose money, but just got it done. And now that uh, buyer is really happy with it. Fantastic. And now how about maybe a home run story, if you will? Okay, sure. That was a bad one. That was a break even, you know, break even isn't the worst thing, right? Because now nah. <laughs> worst case, like you just put some time into it. But especially at that point, when you're so tired of it, you're like, okay, cool. I'm happy with it. Yeah. Now. Best flip is, is and was, so we made about 64K net, which is a great flip. We got it from a wholesaler, I ended up buying the property. And like we put it under contract and then like a day or two later, I think the neighbor wanted to buy it from the wholesaler. So the wholesaler was trying to back out because the neighbor of the property wanted to buy it and they're going to buy it for more. So the, the wholesaler was like, and it was going to be a lot more. It's like 10,000 more. And the wholesaler was like, well, I don't know. You know, you know, she was trying to like cancel the contract. So we basically just went through with it. We closed it. You know, we got into the property, found out there was like a larger mold issue than we thought. So we did like our mold assessment and found like, yes, there's mold. We have to take care of this thing. We got some quotes. We got some quotes. And it was like 20 grand, 15 grand. I was like, whoa, this is, this is a lot. Uh, at that point, it was me and a partner. We we're like, yo, I don't know if we should do this one. I don't know if we should do this deal. So we're kind of considering like, oh, what if we just sell it and you know just move on? We have some other deals going. Uh, so we talked to the neighbor again who wanted to buy. I'm like, hey, do you want to buy this thing? You know, we'll just sell it to you at cost. You know, call it good. And at that point, he's like, no, I've moved on. Like, okay, well, I guess Uh-oh. we're stuck with this thing. <laughs> Let's just make the most out of it. So we ended up getting some more quotes for the mold remediation. Someone ended up coming in for like seven grand. Got it done. Got the problem solved. Boom, got it, you know, good to go. Ended up fixing it up. So we bought it for 73. I think we put in about 50 or 60, and then we sold it for 200. So, you know, one of our best deals. No, yeah, definitely our best deal. That was our best one. So it's a 64K net. Uh, And we almost didn't do it. Almost didn't do it. Almost kind of chickened out, if that's the right phrase. Like, you know, and we've dealt with mold before. So I don't know why. We just had a lot going on where it's like, hey, we've got other deals. Like, we don't have to do this one type of thing. And just that's how that happened. With 64K, 64,000 later, we learned a good lesson. <laughs> yeah, speaking of lessons, Victor, looking back at your 50 plus house flips over the past few okay. years, what are some lessons that stick out in your mind and maybe advice to, you know, maybe first time or would be house flippers, maybe mistakes that you've made or mistakes that you misstepped and looking back, you could kind of pass on that advice. I think a lot of people get, you know, want to get into real estate or want to get into investing with the intention of like, hey, what if something goes wrong? Like, hey, what if I buy this property and I can't sell it for as much as I want, or I can't repair it or cost more to repair? Or like, what if something goes wrong? Like, oh, what if a contractor doesn't show up? There's all these things that go on in your mind in terms of fears that hold you back. I think the biggest thing is realizing like, yes, things are going to go wrong. Like, I don't think I've ever had a deal where everything went perfectly and there wasn't a hitch and there wasn't a delay and there wasn't, you know, everyone was perfect and on budget and there are no issues. So that's never happened to me. I don't think that's ever happened. I don't think it ever will either. (laughs) Keep that in mind and just bake that into your numbers. And, you know, Warren Buffett talks about margin of error, where he likes to have investments where there's a margin of error. So even if he's wrong and it's within that margin of error, then he's still good. And that's how I like to think about these deals. Like, you know, take action, execute, purchase, move forward with the best of your ability and have that margin of error. So if something goes wrong, then you're still in the clear. Uh, when you're talking so about this margin of error, is that like actually yeah. a financial metric that you're building into your analysis as well? You know, like maybe overestimating your rehab cost by 10% or, you know, maybe assuming that you're not going to be able to get full asking price, et cetera. So you can have, I think that's smart to have that like 10% repair contingency. So if your budget's 50,000, have an extra 5,000, like, hey, what if something goes over? So that's really smart. 
but it's also really smart to that's part of the 70% rule and has that profit baked in. So it's happened a lot. We're like, hey, we want to make 40,000. And like something happens, something happens, something happens, and something's like, okay, we're gonna make 32,000. Not bad. I'm you know, happily take that, take that check, but just things went wrong. So I think that that's the thing because people see like the maybe the fairy tale HGTV style, and they're like, well, you know, and some of the shows are good, but some of them, you know, they kind of mislead you, like, oh, everything went perfect and there are no issues. And that's just a part of it. You just kind of get used to it. like, oh, we went over budget. Like, okay, well, what else happened? Yeah. Well, Victor, this is a fun conversation. We could talk all day, but let's go ahead and start wrapping up here. We'll end sure. with our lightning round. Just a series of questions we'll fire at you. Are you up for it? I'm in. Let's do it. All right. The first question is, what was your biggest hurdle getting started investing in real estate? And then what did you do to overcome it? Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing was that mental block. It's like like a mental block. Like, hey, I need money to do it. Because just like I was saying, I was like, I need to do A. I need to do X to do Y. And I was always like, okay, I need to like build a company and sell it, or I need to have like a huge retirement, or I have to like have a ton of money, have a hundred thousand set aside so I can get into real estate. So just having that uh, realization was just key. I was like, okay, well, wait a second, I can just be creative and I can get started now. And people like real estate because it's lucrative because you can make a ton of money. So, you know, why save up, you know, to have a ton of money to make a lot of money? We want to skip to the good part. Yeah. Awesome. Victor, do you have a personal habit that contributes to your success? <laughs> I can only list one. <laughs> Man, yeah, give us a few if you want. There's a ton. I've seen like mindsets key. I know that's really beaten to death nowadays, but like really the mindset. So anytime I had like a mindset improvement or shift or like a fix something mentally, like I've proceeded to make a lot more money and do a lot better, have more success in life. So just really realizing that's the case. I've had a lot of success with like visualizations, like affirmations and that sort of thing. So I make sure to do that every morning. Because it makes a difference, it kind of starts the day off right too. And like meditation is key too. I do that, you know, mostly daily. So these types of mindset things, it's all in your head. It's literally all in your head. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Victor, do you have an online resource you find valuable in your day to day? I actually have a little flip calculator. If folks are interested, I just I think it's victoryurecheck.com/slash/flip-calculator. I can send you a link too. Okay, fantastic. Um, it just has. It just spits out like the property. Like you put in everything, like how much is the property insurance? How much is, you know, what are you going to buy it for? What are you going to sell it for? Like it'll give you closing costs and that's pretty much it. And then it spits out the net profit. So I actually use that myself. Like, Hey, is this a deal? This is not a deal. Uh, Like I still do 70% rule. Don't get me wrong, but like, I want to know the exact number. Um, Yeah. Fantastic. Is that an Excel based tool? That's actually just online. It's a little, uh, I think it's JavaScript or something like that. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah, we'll definitely link that in the show notes. So if the audience members want to check that out, you can find it there. Victor, what book would you recommend to the listeners and why? I'd really like Good to Great by Jim Collins. I've read that one 15 times. It's just so good. And there's so many great nuggets. Let's call it advancing in my career. Like I read it again and it was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't pick up on that. Or hey, I didn't mm-hmm. catch that. Or now I fully understand what he's talking about there. It's a good story and it's a good book and a lot of great pieces of wisdom. Yeah, that's Good to Great by Jim Collins. We'll link that book in the show notes if our audience members want to check it out. Victor, last question in the lightning round. It's probably one of my favorite questions to ask. If you were to go back and give advice to your 20-year-old self to get started investing in real estate, what would you tell 20-year-old Victor? Yeah. So I think the first thing to know with that, so I'll give you the answer and then I'll, let me make this note and then I'll give you the answer. I don't think I would listen back then because I didn't listen. (laughs) That was part of the problem. So I had to learn the hard way through, let's call it trial and error, to put it lightly. So that's the first note. So second note, I had a mentor actually who told me to get started five, six years ago. So I'm 27 now. So that would have roughly put me in in the 20-year-old mark. 
He told me like five, six years ago, like, hey, you should get started in real estate. I actually went end up going and getting started like three years ago, like getting into it full time shortly thereafter. So that's what the advice would have been like, hey, get started earlier. And the reason behind that, and this is why your listeners should get started now as well, is the compounding effect. So first year I did two flips and then eight. Last year was 20, this year's 30. So you're not only like realizing or losing potential future gains, but like it's not linear, right? It's, it's exponential. Yeah, I love that. So, so I would have gone started earlier and who knows where I would have been today. Maybe at 40 a year, 50 a year. And I am not. So you know, we'll <laughs> soon enough, you'll get there though. Well, yeah. Victor, hey, I know that you're giving back and helping people, you know, go along this path that you've been down in the past few years and helping people understand how to flip properties in their market. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing there. Yeah. So what's really cool about real estate, it's mostly cooperative, not competitive. So me doing flips here in Gainesville doesn't affect anyone doing flips in Maine or New York or Alaska, so on and so forth. So I also, I flip houses full-time. I also mentor people nationwide how to flip houses. I don't bring on anybody in my area because I don't want the competition, but any other area I'll bring on people. So folks are interested, they can reach out to me. I have a free Facebook group, Six Figure House Flipper. I have a lot more like resources, guides, you know, the calculators in there. All of the good stuff's in there in terms of like sharing everything with everyone. So that's pretty much it. So I do mentor people. So if folks are interested in that, great. And if not, that's totally fine too. Yeah, fantastic. Victor, if people want to learn more about what you're doing, maybe reach out to you, connect with you, where's the best place for them to find you? Mm-hmm. So it is going to be Facebook. You can look up my name. So Victor Yurichek. Luckily, it's pretty unique. So you'll, you'll find me. No, no worries. And then there's the free Facebook group, as mentioned, that Six Figure House Flipper. If you find me, I can you know point you in the direction of it. Or if you find the Facebook group, I'll, you know, you'll see me as an admin and can add me from there. Fantastic. We'll link that in the show notes once again. Victor, as we're wrapping up here, is there any parting piece of advice that you'd like to leave with our audience members? I just want to reiterate the, like, the value of getting started, like the imperfect action, just getting started and having that margin of error. And like you are going to make mistakes and just realize that's part of the process and there's no way to get around it. But if you have a big enough margin of error, you can make every mistake in the world and still make a profit. So can't be mad at that. I love it. Six-figure house flipper, Victor Yerichek. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Thank you. All right, that wraps up this week's episode with our guest, Victor Yerichek. Hey, I hope you got so much value from that episode. As always, all of those resources we mentioned are in the show notes. You can always check those out at www.jacobairs.com or most likely, more conveniently, just tapping on your home screen on your phone and checking those from there. Hey, if you want to reach out, I love hearing from you. I'm pretty active on social media these days, mostly on Instagram, and as always at the website, www.jacobairs.com. Until next week, engineer the lifestyle you want. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, LLC, exclusively.